Welcome to the Digital Dissection Podcast, hosted by Joe Vinipol and myself, Mark Benke. We're two pop culture nerds dedicated to celebrating our favorite properties and talking to the creative minds and personalities that make them great. You might learn something new about pop culture history or rediscover the recent past. Follow us on social media for weekly pop culture content where we're always dissecting. Pop culture nerds, today we're joined by one of our favorite actors who's fought demons, dealt with aliens, and plays one hell of a cop. You can find her in Telltale's New Tales from the Borderlands and Hallmark's A Picture of Her. We are honored to welcome Sam Ferris. Welcome to the Woo! show, Sam. Sam Ferris, Sam Ferris, Sam Ferris. Now, for anybody watching this, I have to say this. I did not put any makeup on today. I have a sunburn on my nose. I didn't even cover that up. My hair is everywhere. I thought it was just going to be audio and I was wrong. I don't know modern technology. Call me old. So this is what you get. This is what I look like at my worst. So it only gets better than this. This is me straight out of bed. Which you were, you're so hard mm -hmm. on yourself because I, I wear a very, yeah. I, I wear a hat. Is, mm -hmm. Every actor is hard on themselves. The reason I wear this hat is because there's literally no hair underneath it. So at least you've got the hair. You, I do. You're, you're I have winning. a lot of it. Thank God I had a lot of it because a lot of it came out. But yes, I yeah, I have a ton of it. <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, mm -hmm. we, we are obviously happy to have you. And what we like to do on, on this program is actually explore a little bit more about before the acting, right? Before some of mm -hmm. the, the, the properties that you've been attached to, because as we kind of talked about before this conversation started, Wikipedia doesn't really tell us a whole lot about, you know, maybe some of your dreams and your aspirations and what the original plan might've been. Right. So yeah, yeah, we, we'd love to know a little bit more about, you know, about what, what the plan was, you know, like what for were you looking acting, to do? You mean, so yeah. for the acting all together. Well, yeah. it's funny because mm -hmm. like very few actors, I actually started really late in the game. I was 28 mm -hmm. when I started a full-time oh. acting career and which is really old. I mean, some people are wrapping it up by 28, but I, you know what? I, yeah. I wasn't there yet. I, it was a sort mm -hmm. of an epiphany that actually brought me into acting. I'd done a lot of stuff before this. I worked in the record industry. I was a record rep mm -hmm. for Sony music. I traveled around. I smoked dope with, Joe Cocker, he may be a little old for you guys. Anybody in classic oh, no. rock would know it. I spent time with Alice Cooper. Mm -hmm. Not the nicest guy in the world. Actually, you know what? He wasn't so bad, but his manager was a dick. Ooh. <laughs> Very smart guy, though. Very smart. Mm -hmm. And and scratch golfer, who you would never think that. He oh. does look a bit like death warmed over. Oh, no. Alice Cooper, smart guy. <laughs> manager mm -hmm. is a dick and you know very capable but total scratch golfer although he's the only guy that I think is allowed on the golf course in all black because he is alice cooper nobody's gonna put oh, yeah. a bright green color mm -hmm. on him not not till he's dead no um so years before i where did i start i think you know did the whole graduating from high school did want to go back to university mm -hmm. i moved to whistler because i live in vancouver so i was a skier and mm -hmm. I, you know, basically had sex with everyone, ate everything, drank everything, did everything I could to get my yeah yeahs out of my like 18, 19, 20, then mm -hmm. went to university, still wasn't for me. And then I got into radio. So that was really, I think, my first professional career other than, you know, bartending and serving. And mm -hmm. I was a lifty up in Whistler Mountain. I worked on the chairlifts. So I think ah. my real springboard into my career was, I think it was 91 when I got my first job in radio and I've been a radio announcer up until probably two or three years ago. And I just sort of, it's great because it worked with the acting. So I did mm -hmm. talk radio. I did rock radio for, you know, 25 years, 30 years. 
I can sing every classic rock song known to man. Um, nice. And mm -hmm. I still love radio. It was my first love. And it's tough because there's not that many stations in, in Vancouver. And I've kind of worked at all of them. Yeah. I'm older. It's a much younger audience now. I miss being on the air. I don't miss the... Can I swear on this? Are we, we're not... Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. you go right ahead. Yeah, yeah, okay, absolutely. Uh, the bullshit that goes with radio, but I loved. It's still my first love. If I, if somebody gave me the magical, you know, uh, they said, "What do you want to do?" I would say, "I want to do this," and I'll talk about that later. I'm I'm training to become a chronic pain therapist because I struggled with it for 20 oh. years, and I want to help people mm -hmm. get out of pain because I was in pain for 20 years. But uh, the radio loved being on it, mm -hmm. but there's no future in it. As we all know, there's no money in it. There's no stability. So I got out of that years ago. Mm -hmm. And then the acting, how did I even, I think, you know what? I was working in radio. I, it was one of those hated my job. Didn't like my boyfriend. My dad just died. And when you have a whole bunch of Oof. shit that happens in your life, you go, you there's just an epiphany. You realize how important and how fleeting life is. And I went, you know what, Sam, mm -hmm. what do you really want to do with your life? And I'm like, well, I really, if I'm really going to chase what I want to do, I want to be a full-time actor. I'd always, you know, you're good mm -hmm. at it or you're not. And I'd always done it sort of non-professionally. So 28, I went, wow, really? I'm changing tunes at 28? Because I'd already done a couple of about faces. I worked in, like I said, music, radio. And then mm -hmm. I went, oh, I was a weather girl for the local TV station. And then I ah, went, no, fuck okay. it. Let's go after it. So I got a bartending job. I lied. I got a headshot and a resume. And my bravado, I just talked a good talk to all these agents in town. I didn't have a single credit. And I just said, look, you can send me out for the reporter roles for the first year. And then after that, I want you to send me out for real roles. And that was, you know, by the time I was 29, I was kind of off and running. So yeah. acting was not first. It wasn't even second. It wasn't even third, you know, and, but it was the one thing that I always knew if I wanted to do it, mm -hmm. if I had a choice over what I would do, it's just daunting. How do you get into being an actor? It's so competitive. And yeah. You know, yeah. how do you get in to do that? You just got to jump in and do it. I was going to say, especially well, that, you almost made it sound like it was like a, like, a, like a fallback plan, almost like it's the opposite of what you hear. Like, hey, I'm going to Hollywood, chase my dream, but I'm going to yeah. fall back at my dad's car dealership just in case that doesn't work out. So exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, no, it's, you're it's right. Mine was reversed. Cool. Yeah. You're right. Mm -hmm. That's true. These were my <laughs> careers. And it was like, ah. What do you want to do? Okay, let's give this a go. Let's give it a lark. What can happen? What I can always go back to radio. I can always go back to something else. And then mm -hmm. you know what? And then it worked because I have a very, I mean, if you've seen me on TV, I have a very strong mm -hmm. personality. I have a strong voice. I play head CIA like nobody's business. We used to call me tits in a suit or large and in charge. Like I've just, you know, there's not that many women. Like I, you can't tell right now, but when you I clean up well, put a suit on me. I've got great legs nice boobs. You straighten this hair and you put some makeup on this face and I can kick some serious fucking ass. And that's what I did. Like the main characters that I was always hired for was head of the CIA, head of the FBI, large yeah. and in charge, head lawyer. I just, you know, gun for hire. I was the tough guy. And that's why Supernatural was such a great gig because mm -hmm. I got to be that tough person, but I got to be a mom and I got to have a gun and I got to yeah. be the badass. And that was such a great departure. And I think that was one of my first real departures from the head large and in charge broad, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's really kind of a cool journey though, because um, I, I have a soft spot for journalism and I think Joe does a little bit too, because mm -hmm. that was what I went to college for. I wrote for a newspaper for a while and, you know, now we're making, you know, multimedia stuff weekly. So it, it feels kind of like we, we live mm -hmm. in that soup 
you know, quite yeah. a bit, yeah. but yeah. to, to, to hear you start there, like working in, in broadcast and everything, and then shifting into acting, I, I'm curious how, how maybe working in front of the camera in that regard, how it prepped you for getting into, you know, being a, a, a paid actor, like what, what, what kind of lessons did you learn from broadcast that carried into, you know, uh, Oh, um, Ego, you're going to deal with a lot of ego and a lot of money and put ego and money together and it can be a winning and a real losing combination. It it woke you up to like, mm -hmm. wow, people like that really exist. Yeah. Um, I learned more about that than the actual technical side. I've got to think, I guess looking into a teleprompter. Yeah. When you're a weather girl and you're doing this and oh, yeah, you're, you're looking and you're reading over a teleprompter, but mm -hmm. no, because there's acting. You're never looking in the camera. You're, you're. No, I would say the two are not related at all. In fact, I'd say they're very different because one of them is a very forced, formal, you're giving information, whereas when you're acting, you're doing exactly the opposite. You're connecting with an emotion. You're connecting with a scene. Yeah. You're having an emotional interaction with somebody and trying to, you know, create reality out of something. Whereas Weather Girl, you're not realitying anything. You're not even trying. You're just trying to put your hand where the green screen, where's, okay, here's Canada. Oh, here we go. Okay. You got to match your hand to the, mm -hmm. you know, to what the, the map, the map that you're looking at. And that's about it. I would say just the people, okay. just the ego is pretty much it. And you run into, you know, performance base when you're looking at people that are in front of a camera, in front of a microphone, in front of a whatever, when there's a performance, there is not a million people out there that can do it. So you're dealing with people mm -hmm. that can get pretty in their own heads and <laughs> kind of think their shit don't stink. Like kind of people that have, they've been, yeah. you know, puffed mm -hmm. up and, and, oh yes, and absolutely. Oh, how could, what can I do for you? You know, you kind of, you run into the same kind of people. So I think I noticed in acting, I noticed some of the same attitude and it was just, it's ego. You just go, okay, yeah, all right, this mm -hmm. is what we're dealing with here. And that sounds like a negative. It's not necessarily a negative, but I'd say if there's a crossover, that's it. Okay. I was, saying, I was actually wondering that too, when you, when you'd mentioned that there's that ego in broadcasting, because okay. I feel like that would, that'd have to be there in Hollywood as well, or in um, okay. like, in, in that too. So how do you like, obviously you do not have to name names of people who've given like you the <laughs> ego like that, but like, yeah. how do you work with people who do have that like plus size bravado? It depends on who it is. Like, can I tell you kind of a crude story? Do you know who mm -hmm. Faye Dunaway is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. She's a very mm -hmm. famous actress. Yeah, you guys are young. She's a very famous actress. <laughs> this is a typical story. Not, I shouldn't say typical. Mm -hmm. This is a little above typical, but this is when you hear those stories about actors, and I know it's true because I was, it was the actual, I was either the hair and makeup person or the costume guy. Mm -hmm. And true story, Faye Dunaway, because so she's very famous. And back when she was big, the Sophia Loren and Raquel Welch, when they were very divas, it was very diva-ish. And you couldn't get away with that now. But she, you know, Faye Dunaway was up here and she had the reputation. You, your reputation usually precedes you. People usually know about it. Oh yeah, you know that somebody's a pain in the ass or somebody's not, or well, you, you hear about them first. Um, and she was a fit. Yeah, it was fit anyway. And she there, you know, she was talking to the director and she said, and he said, well, here, you know, we went through, she wanted to have a say in everything that she did. So they were showing her costumes and she said, yes, yes, no, no, no. And then she looked at the final dress for the final scene. She said, I'm not wearing that. And he said, no, actually, he goes, actually, you know what, Faye, I, I really, I got to say, I think he was also the writer. He said, this dress is actually very specific to the scene. We actually need the dress. And she said, I'm not wearing that dress. And he said, well, you know, we can talk about it, but no, you know, it's, it, do me a favor here. And he was very nice about it. 
And I think for that final scene, they put the dress in her room and he said, put it in her fucking room. She's wearing it. They were making her, you know, giving her a huge amount of money for this. She'd already been a pain mm -hmm. in the ass. And so they put it in her room and she got to her room and in, in lieu of her somewhat professionalism and to voice her displeasure she took a shit on the dress oh my god she literally <laughs> defecated <Fuck. laughs> on the, and that was her basically saying i'm a big star and i don't have to wear this and god love the director the director the costume guy was like i'm not dealing with this director said send it out to be dry cleaned and put it back in her room and i give them all credit because she wore wow. it in the end <laughs> they did literally but i only say that because that can be the height of it. I don't think it gets mm -hmm. much worse than that, but, and you get everything in between. You can get people who are just having a bad day and they snap at you. Mm -hmm. You can get, you know, you got to remember that a lead, if you're a lead on a show and you're working a lot, you're doing 16 hour days, you're yeah. in every fucking scene. People are poking mm -hmm. and prodding, makeup is coming, you know, at you. Like everybody's coming at you all the time. The scripter is saying, yeah, you put the instead of and. Meanwhile, the hair and makeup are trying to get in to fix you because everybody's trying to do their job. Everybody's mm -hmm. rushing around you and you don't get a second. You're feeling just you're pulled in many different directions. And when you do that for 16 hours a day for two months, three months, five months, mm -hmm. even a couple of weeks, it, it's very hard to stay really. Oh, yeah. thank you very much. Thanks very mm -hmm. much, guys. Now, some people carry it off. The old British actors are are. They're just decent people, like the Helen Mirrens and the people that have been around a long time. They're always the kindest people and absolutely um, well behaved and lovely mm -hmm. and grateful. And and you just they're just such lovely, easy people to work with. But it's usually the Americans and Canadians and Canadians, the North Americans oh. that can mm -hmm. get a bit of an attitude. And I worked. I won't even tell you the story, but I, I worked on a movie with. Um, the daughter of a uh, very famous Charlie's Angel. I'll say that. She's one of the Charlie's Angels from the, one of okay. the original Charlie's Angels. And I don't think she had an easy life. I think she, you mm -hmm. know, was raised by nannies while her parents were out partying all the time. That's what they did back in the 70s, right? Like, they just left you. They just, you know, oh, it's fine. They, you know, you don't need hugging and kissing or, or you know, we know so much more about yeah. parenting now. Mm -hmm. So I think this poor gal was, anyway, she was a fucking handful. It was a horror movie. And that was one of the worst experiences I think I've ever had. And I was like, it, it even took my breath away. Stuff that was just such bad behavior. And the producers took me out for dinner once and said, these two young guys, and said, what do we do? And I turned to them after a couple of glasses of wine and said, you guys created this. Oh, what do you mean? What do you mean? And I'm like, you know what? And here's my, here's my point to this. Nobody's born like that. Somebody yeah. didn't say no to them their whole life and they somehow got it and it's almost not their fault like it is but it isn't when an, mm -hmm. somebody behaves badly one time then three times then five times when nobody has said ah that's not okay they get it in their own head they actually this this self-fulfilling prophecy that they're this you know they don't know that nobody's saying no they don't know mm -hmm. that people aren't talking behind the, their back they're just they're buying yeah. their own bullshit so when nobody says no to you you know 20 times you buy into it and you're just like, oh, I can just snap my fingers. And you don't realize that attitude that you're now portraying because you've gotten used to getting your own way mm -hmm. on everything. And I think there's a lot of that out there. Like, yeah. I really do. I think you've had two series. You were a rock star. You won an award. 
and they really do treat you like gold as an actor because you are important. Like if you get pissed off and walk off, you're, it's worth so much. Every minute is worth so much money when you're shooting oh, God, that yeah. they got to keep mm -hmm. their actors happy. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've seen way too many actors hide and they don't like something. They'll just sit in their, you know, trailer. Oh, they're in their trailer. And it's, 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 that's done a lot. Oh, they're in their trailer. Oh, you know, they're still in their mm -hmm. trailer. And it's, it's a little harumph. It's a little, no, I'm, you know, boycotting coming to, I'm not coming in there on time. Like they're just, they can stick it to the producers, right? Like I said, every minute mm -hmm. is worth so much money. So you want to keep your actors happy because they'll show up on time. And yeah. they won't be diva or they'll be less diva esque. Some are just always mm -hmm. going to be a pain in the ass, but you know, keep them happy and you won't lose money. So you kind of, you're handled, they're handled with kid gloves so much that they just get used to it. And then they turn into assholes or they can, not all of them, mm -hmm. some of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's true oh. though. I mean, uh, I would, mm -hmm. Joe is a teacher. He obviously knows how upbringing yes. can impact a child's mm -hmm. attitude. Yeah. You can very uh, yeah. easily spot the children who've never been told no by someone before. It's exactly. Very must be really <laughs> that must be so mm -hmm. tough as a teacher. Cause when I was a kid, you could smack a kid around in class and kind of did. He threw stuff. You can't mm -hmm. do anything anymore. Kids have a lot when they have cell phones and all that stuff. So yes. Mm -hmm. I was going to say kids back then took hits like NFL quarterbacks and they just oh, went yeah. home, you know, and, and that's just <laughs> how it went. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. My dad used to take his military boot and, and those things are like serrated on the bottom. Okay? Yes, they are. So, so when, when someone uses the term, your ass is going to turn into hamburger. Like, I know what that's actually like. I yeah. mean, it's it's a real thing. But It is a real thing. I'm getting the wooden spoon. She really would get the wooden spoon or she'd chase oh, us. Oh, my gosh. Running, mm -hmm. like, running for half shoe and running after us, going for the shoe on her foot like a sandal. <laughs> and we were just, you know, it didn't even phase you. We got spanked everywhere mm -hmm. all the time. You know, you're left alone for days at a time. They don't do that anymore. But back then, I mean, growing up back mm -hmm. then, it was the Wild West, right? You left on your yeah. bike in the morning and you came mm -hmm. back at eight o'clock at night and you had blood on your knees and hair <laughs> yeah. out and ripped shirts. And you look, you know, do I look suspicious? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, mm -hmm. well I, I love that we kind of talked about some of the rigors and, and experiences that you've gone through because this is not so much about acting, but this does kind of call back to what you mentioned about being a radio announcer and I've had a chance to follow your YouTube, you know, for, for a few years now. And one thing that I, I focused on, okay, this isn't meant to, this no, isn't no. meant to embarrass you, yeah. but I, I remember how you, you put up a very heartfelt video about when you were actually fired from being a radio announcer yeah. and how much that, that changed you. And I, I, I don't want to, we obviously don't want to relieve every, every moment of it, but I do want to ask you, how did you figure out managing that recovery process, you know, from, from that happening to you? You know what, this is why, and my, the, the YouTube he's talking about is, is I do this little thing. So here's the thing. And that's, that's my shtick. That's my, I love, and that's why I, I don't know that I, I'll never leave the acting, but I'm going into chronic pain therapy because the connection with the human being is way more important to me than acting. I think that, and I've always had this, Connecting with other people is so much more important. I used to, because of the radio and being an mm -hmm. actor, I've gone around and I've emceed um, large telethons and stuff that's giving back, and it's about humanity. And I always got way more of a way more of a of a buzz out of connecting with other people 
than I ever have about the acting or being a radio announcer or being working in the music industry. And sometimes you just know what you're good at and mm-hmm. you know what gives what gives you real buzz, what gives you makes your heart hum. And connecting with people and talking about my life in the hopes of helping somebody else has always been my jam. So I started to, and I started to do this at conventions with Supernatural as I started to talk to people. And when you, you really, you connect with people. And when uh, Supernatural fans are very often very different, they're kind of an alternative fan. Some of them are very yeah. geeky and that, you know, they're quiet and they, people that are attracted to sci-fi are a very different breed. And so for me to be able to stand on stage and say, you know, let your freak flag fly, man, be who you are. Don't ever hold back. Like I noticed that I, Loved that because I had people connect with me and say, thank you. And it was nice to hear that you had a hard time in life too. So I knew that I would always share my hard moments in life because I really am an open book. If you haven't figured that out by now, I wear my heart (laughs) on my sleeve. I will talk about anything and everything. I don't hold back because I think that our experiences, especially the challenges in life, if you can share that and laugh about it, um, it helps somebody else. So I started to do, so here's the thing. Because I can talk very openly about my hard my hard knocks in life very openly. And if they can help somebody else. So I get a lot of people that respond to them. So I have no problem talking about getting fired, getting dumped. Uh, my childhood sucked. Like I had horrible parents. It was very traumatic. I went through hell. Like, you know, growing up feeling not good enough, feeling hated, you know, all that stuff. I know that my talking about it can reach out to other people. So when I started to do, so here's the thing. I mean, I, one of them was I lost my tooth. I showed people, I mean, you should see. When you take a tooth <laughs> out of somebody's, you don't realize how important your teeth are when you present until you take one away. I literally, I had a flipper. This is a, an implant that knocked it out when I was 10. Mm-hmm. And they had, to, I had to go for a couple of weeks. They had to take it out. It was obsessed. So they, you know, they had to put a thing in and I had to have a, a little thing in there for a couple of weeks. It was fake and it kept coming out. So once in a while, I would just take it out. I remember being in my car. I just take it out because I didn't want it's like a retainer. I don't want to deal with it. And yeah. you turn around and people, you know, smile at you. And then you go to smile and you forget that you're missing a tooth. And it's, it's this people go, like, roll up their window, lock their door, drive off. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, oh my God, you don't realize how important your teeth are until you take one of those front teeth away. And then you are looked at completely different. So I talked about my front tooth. I talked about being fat. Like I talk about the things that other people are scared to talk about because I'm not scared to talk about them. And Losing it, getting fired mm-hmm. is a horrible experience, especially if you have a low opinion of yourself. If you don't have a really strong confidence. I mean, since then, you, you, you build confidence as you go in life. But I remember it being incredibly hard and it was very public and it was, it was shitty. You know, it really was a horrible experience. But what you learn by that is we're going to have these experiences in life. We're going to have those hard knocks. You're not going to, no one's getting out of here alive. As I think my dad used to say, like we're all going with bumps and bruises and it wouldn't be life if you didn't, but it's, it's now how you take those moments and use them to your advantage. I mean, all the all the great scientists of the world said failure means nothing. Failure is just a, you know, a motivator to get on and do something. You've learned something about your life. Now take that lesson and move forward. And, don't don't repeat the same thing that you did before or do things differently or, you know, big learn. Sometimes a hard learn, sometimes a good learn. Sometimes it's a gift. You know, mm-hmm. the things that my chronic pain that I have for 20 years was an absolute gift in my life because now I'm going to help other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think you've got to look at that stuff as little. They're just little bumps in the road along the way of life. And you need a bunch of bumps yeah. to appreciate the good stuff that happens. 
-hmm. But yeah, it was hard. But talking about it was great because mm -hmm. that's cathartic for me. And then it helps somebody else out. Somebody's had a shitty day. Somebody says, hey, I just saw an actor from Supernatural talking about getting fired on this YouTube. Go, And then they go, fuck, if she mm -hmm. can look and talk about it and laugh about it, then why can't I? And that's kind of the point. And I love that yeah. it's a community at that point because mm -hmm. when, I, when I remember seeing one of your videos uh, a couple of years ago, I, I saw in the comments that somebody said it's not your fault if somebody doesn't see your potential. Yeah, and, I, and I, I saw that and I went, I didn't know I needed to hear that today. Holy you shit. know what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's why I do on Twitter and Instagram. I had fallen apart recently because I'm in school and I'm busy, but I normally do a Super Soul Sunday, hashtag Super Soul Sunday. And I will always post those. And my intention for it is, is to get that exact response. So, and I'll get them back. I did. You have no idea how much I needed to read this today or thank you. I'm not alone. My, I think my big mm -hmm. motivation for everything, if I had a mission statement is to help people feel like they're not alone. That would be my bottom yeah. line. That's yes. why I do the stuff that I do. Yes, absolutely. I, I think it's it's really important because uh, some people forget. <laughs> I forgot myself. Um, I, I I network with a lot of like video game streamers, and a lot of video game streamers focus on mental health. And so mm -hmm. I was talking to uh, one of these streamers one day, and they said, "Hey, do you know that June was like Men's Mental Health Month?" And I went, "Wait, what?" I'm like, what? "That's a no." Thing. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm still used to having my shampoo and conditioner in the same bottle. I didn't even know we had a month for mental <laughs> yeah, health. Yeah, that's kidding? right. Any guy using conditioner, mm -hmm. what's wrong with you? You <laughs> Early, man. <laughs> I, I, you know what? When I did have hair, I loved using conditioner. I loved oh, yeah. the way the wind mm -hmm. caught my hair just right. I mean, there, there. Trust me, there was a time, there was hey, a civilization he had, up here. He had well, t tops on that Camaro. Making up for it, your partner here is making up for it. You have a full head of hair, like a crazy head of hair for a guy. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to knock on wood. That's one of my few genetic like jackpots I've hit so far is that this doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And no, and I think you'd be going stays. by now. Yeah, yeah. I think if you were going to lose it, mm -hmm. I think it, no, I think you're solid. I think you're going to be just fine. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. To, to, to bounce back to acting for a moment here. Mm -hmm. uh, we've asked this question a couple of times because we've, we've had other artists on the show who have done extensive voiceover, jumped over to live action, and they've kind of found you know niches that they like to be within. But you're you have a very diverse portfolio that you've got over your career, and mm -hmm. a lot of that in the beginning was animation, which I thought was really cool that that you you were in that space. So I, I want to know: Did you bring like physicality to your performance in the booth? Like, do you have a different pre like preparation style that you do for that versus you know movies and TV? I didn't have a preparation style, but. Mm -hmm. You do like, yeah. And I think the voice stuff, the, especially the voice animation, that was a springboard from radio. So that was even before I was an actor. I think I was doing that stuff. I'm pretty sure what's Gundam Wing. I still get people to talk about Gundam Wing. I guess it's some, yes. some mm -hmm. cult following of Gundam Wing, but I'll still get that at conventions. At, yep. at every convention I do, there's at least five people that go, Sally Poe. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, I think that was one of the first things I ever did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they'll bring me Sally, yeah, no, they'll that... bring me Gundam Wing stuff to sign. And I'm like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if it's still going, but it <laughs> went for a long time. No. And mm -hmm. yeah, I think, yeah, uh, sorry. I think in answer to your question, I think um, you kind of had to, and, and you know, with, with a lot of that, you, you had to work at matching the lips. So you would mm. kind of like, you'd look, if they ran video, you'd look ridiculous because you had to do a lot of this. <laughs> I don't think pre-preparation, I think the film stuff, is pre-prep mm -hmm. because it's very, it's more visual than it is even audio, right? So it's, you definitely have to 
focus on a couple of different things when you're in front of the camera. Plus, in front of the camera, don't forget, you have to, it's not just and roll and go. You, you've got to hit marks. You've got a camera. You've got an eye line. Sometimes they take the actor away and you mm -hmm. have a weird eye line and you mm -hmm. have to look over here when it's not really there. So when you're on the microphone doing anime, when you're just doing voice, all you have to focus on is the voice. Oh, sometimes mm -hmm. I should say that you're matching the lips, but on mm -hmm. Japanimation, which is what we called it, you can't even really match it because it's, it's Japanese. And I'm like, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, sometimes you just gave up. You're like, they're like, that's mm -hmm. not even going to fit. Like you're saying yes. And the lips went like this. Yeah. I don't know how many yeah. yes, how many mm -hmm. times you say yes in Japanese. But so film, you have to, there's, you're focused on, like I said, you got hair and makeup coming. You mm -hmm. got a lot of things going on, but if you're in a, if you're in a booth voicing something, you're kind of on your own and you've got your own stuff going on. So it's a lot of this. Like when you see the pro guys that do it, they've got, rah, 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 and they're, rah, 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 they're doing all that <laughs> stuff. So it's, it's very mm -hmm. different. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I would be one of the five people bringing a picture of Sally Poe to sign at a convention <laughs> because. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, definitely. Like Gundam is a huge part of my life. I have won contests like building models of Gundams and painting them. Oh my God. So, so what is it about that show that was so big? Is it because one of, it was one of the first mm -hmm. of its kind? Oh, there I'm was not an animation mm -hmm. fan. Oh yeah. There was nothing like Gundam bef in the United States before that, because before that you'd have like, like Power Ranger-esque like robots where they'd be fighting yeah. aliens and doing all this stuff. But this was a war story. This was human and human emotion like clashing with each other where you see that like in war lines are blurry between good and bad on both sides and what they're doing. And yeah. you've got people caught up in it who are just trying to do the right thing by themselves. And this is where I would love to talk to you about like Sally Poe, because when it comes to the characters on the show, so many of the big ones are the ones who are in the mechs and they're the easy ones to kind of fall in love with. You mm -hmm. voice one of the few characters who one commands respect automatically whenever she's in a scene and she yeah. never steps foot in a robot. So this is something where I, I almost want to know, like, what did you like? Obviously like, there's a script and you've got to match the best you can yeah. with a language barrier with it. But is there anything that you think you did with your voice to Sally Poe that made her oh, yeah. the, the amazing character that she is? Yeah. I put a lot of weight mm -hmm. behind it. Like I really, she was very tough. Like she, mm -hmm. The thing about audio versus visual, visual, you have a bunch of different mediums, right? You have audio, you have everything with that. You really have to project with your voice because it's all about the voice. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're acting in a scene, it's your hair and your makeup and your clothes and the lighting. And the, so when you're doing, when it's just kind of your voice, you really have to speak with all parts of you. You have to put all of your energy into that voice. So yeah, you go way mm -hmm. bigger. Like Sally Poe was a very tough I'm trying to remember her, a very tough, very strong character that I definitely, I'd become, I'd be hoarse when I came out of, uh, oh, I could imagine. With that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. was, that, those were draining because she was, she had a lot of power and you had to put all of that power into one mm -hmm. medium, which was your vocal cords. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was hard. It was hard, but it was, yeah, that was my first, I think it was my first real anime, real animation. And I mm -hmm. still hear about it today. I don't know how long it went on it's, for, but it must have gone on for a while. I think it morphed it's a, all kinds mm -hmm. of different ways. Well, yeah, it has. Uh, it's got fifty episodes and a movie. Um, and like, yeah. I mean, because like Gundam as a thing has been going on since nineteen seventy nine. So wow, it's been going on. Yeah, and it's there's still new series coming out. Like they just finished the newest one, honestly, like two or three weeks ago, just wrapped up um, with its uh, wow. with its air date. 
So Gundam is huge uh, in, in the East, and it's, it's spread here so well. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's because movie. of your series. I will take credit for that. I'm going to take You should. Take huge credit. And I will Sally like Bowles. I will actually stand by Endless Waltz as probably, and I haven't probably, Endless Waltz is the best Gundam movie made out of all the ones I've seen so far. Like in terms yeah. of animation, story, everything. Like it has it all. And it wraps up the series storyline so well. So like, yes. Kudos to you and the amazing work uh, you did on that show and movie. Oh, that's so, I'm so glad to hear that because I haven't mm -hmm. heard that in so long. Other than, like I said, the odd person that comes up and goes Sally Poe at a convention. I haven't, I haven't mm -hmm. talked about Sally Poe in ages. <laughs> that was a long, yeah, that was one of my mm -hmm. first gigs a long time ago. Yeah. It's I just, think what Joe like, is trying like, to say is had, that if, oh, mm -hmm. uh, I was going to say, oh, if, I, if, if mm -hmm. Joe, if Joe and Sally Poe were on a dating app, he likely would have matched by now. I think that's what he's trying to say. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, crush, well, but crush on Sally say, Poe. Well, Sally mm -hmm. Poe had her shit together, man. <laughs> she did. You like she literally took like the worst character on the show, like the biggest womanizer, and honestly, kind of piece of shit on that show, and yeah. made him respect her, like em like yeah. immediately when she did things. So yeah, Sally Poe, incredible. Ah, <laughs> that's so sweet. Thank you for mm -hmm. saying that. I, yeah, I've never heard. I've never had a. Yeah. I've never had this long of a conversation about Sally Poe. So I'm glad. I just. I'm glad that somebody out there. I'm glad to know that there really are people that are Gundam fans because mm -hmm. I see them at conventions. So you don't get a ton of time with the fans. So you're like, oh, yeah, really no. Sally mm -hmm. Poe, and then you're kind of like, where are you from? And then all you know, they're gone. And then you're like, wow, that was a long time ago. Oh, hi. Okay, yeah. Hey, what's your name? You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. crazy. It's, I mean, we we did look at some of the, the properties that we experienced that you were part of. And one of the questions that kind of came out of shortly after some of this animation work was that you actually worked with the, like the earlier version of telltale games with the CSI mm -hmm. video games. Yeah, that's right. So I was curious because I had played those games. Now I think, I think you do a great job with your voice, but the mechanics of those CSI games were kind of hard to get through. And Joe knows the journey I went through on that one. Yes. But, oh, really? But, <laughs> yes. But like, the, mm -hmm. I thought the voice acting was great. The games themselves do have some really tough mechanics to kind of get through. And, and we're not here to talk about them. But what, what I wanted to ask you about was the, the gap in between working with Telltale Games, because obviously you, you, you were part of the new Tales from the Borderlands that we kind of talked yeah. about a little bit before we recorded. But I guess... Was there a reason for that gap in between working with that studio? No, I don't think so. I think mm -hmm. um, EA, like a lot of a lot of the gaming stuff is is done in Vancouver. I just happened to live here, and yeah. so I think no, it wasn't by design. It wasn't intentionally, but I think that when you get really busy in film, and then you know a video game will come and say, "Hey, is she available?" and your agent, it's their job to kind of go, "Well." She's doing this, this, and this. And they're like, well, you know, they need parameters. They need, well, we need three of her days, and we don't know if they're Monday, Wednesday, or Friday. And your agent goes, well, sorry, guys, but she's on this making this amount of money. Like, you just become somewhat unavailable just because their schedule is moving around. And yeah. this is, this isn't even my doing. I'm not even part of it. They'll just say, hey, EA's got a game um, they're auditioning for. But just so you know, this is their guarantee and you can't do any other games and you can't do any of this and you can't do any of that. And here's your block, here's your window of time. And they need you for all of those, you know, weeks. And I'm like, well, 
then that's when your agent goes, no, it's not worth it. Like we just, we just can't hold her. Like they, they won't pay you for all that time, but they'll say we want first oh. right of refusal, meaning mm -hmm. here's our mm -hmm. shooting. And because it moves around so much, we're not going to share her with another show. Like stuff like that would yeah. happen. It's not just EA, it's other games too. And I get, I understand their schedule. I had a really hard time doing new tales from the borderlands. Like I, I think by the end, they hated me, the production team, because it was just, and it was really no. my agent. It wasn't me, but it was, you know, they're, it's, yeah, it's just a different animal, right? So mm -hmm. my agent would be like, you can't have her Monday, Wednesday. And they're like, and they were really disorganized. So they were like, well, we need Sam for this and this. And she's like, well, you know, I'm going to have to cancel her on that. So you're going to have to pay her this. And like, I end up probably looking like a real bitch to the new tip to the production team only because mm -hmm. it's hard to do both. So I would say if there's a gap, it's only because I was working a lot and yeah. it's much as you love the games, they don't pay the same as when you're an actor, you want to get in front of a camera. That's your number one priority. So when a game comes up and says, Hey, we we'd like to hire Sam, but here's the, here's the money. And yeah. we need her to guarantee that she's not going to take anything on in that window. And my agent's like, she won't do that. Yeah. Or my agent's like, I won't let her do that. And my agent's like, I won't let you do that. She'll check with me and go, hey, so-and-so called about a game. Uh, are you open to being available? They can only guarantee you three days, but you have to be available for three weeks. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> Even a TV show, if they did that, I wouldn't do that. So, what? Uh, okay. so that's the only reason for that. I did a couple of other ones. Like I did some that are not on my IMDb, like, Friend of mine and I both did, and I know you talk about the logistics. Don't forget, didn't we shoot those a long time ago when they hadn't figured out the mechanics of it? Like yes, now, gaming true. is almost mm -hmm. real life. It's but true. Yeah. Back then, it wasn't it wasn't quite pong, which is what we had when I was <laughs> a fucking tank. Like we had tank. You had two Jenny went like this, and it uh, like trust me, you guys would have gone bananas. You would have hated tank. But that was the only thing we had when I was a kid. Tank and pong. Where you just had mm -hmm. a bat that went, you know how Pong went, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like Mr. Pac-Man mm -hmm. was a, was cutting edge when I was younger, so it's very it's changed <laughs> very uh, a great deal. Mm -hmm. But a friend of mine and I did like a a snowboarding one, and I did the voice of one player. <gasps> no oh. way. You know, no way. And you had to record no way like eight different times. Oh, my and God. You, yeah, you had all this dialogue. You go and I did this in EA. If you've ever been to these gaming yeah. houses, they are palatial. Because these people that work on these games work like to, to, to hitting a deadline. They're in there 22 hours. There's fields. There's gyms. There's massages. Ooh. There's like it's a whole world. The EA building is this. It's like a planet. It's its own because wow. they don't want them to leave, right? Oh, it's mm -hmm. insane. You should see. <laughs> you, you guys of all should make an appointment to go in. If you're ever in Vancouver, come and see. You like mm -hmm. make an appointment. Say, hey, this is what we do. I'm sure somebody would show you. Um, I could hook you up with a friend of mine, but he just left. And it, it's oh. it's mind boggling the amount of money and and shit that goes on. So they must sh they must record so many games. So you go in there and you record for a couple of days and. You know, it's the script is you got to say something 15 ways and then they plug it into the player, mm -hmm. you know, player goes this way. And a friend of mine did the other one. So we said that we were going to get the game and I was going to play with her voice. I was going to play her character and she was going to play mine. We <laughs> never did that. But how much fun that would have been. I don't even know where that game is. Now, was that SSX uh, on tour? <laughs> mm -hmm. I know it was weren't you in a couple of the SSX like snowboarding games or was it just that one? I don't know. It was so long ago now. Mm hmm. It, but it was an EA game and it was a big one. And I know that, yeah, it was probably a couple of them. 
I don't know yeah. what it was called. I get the, you get the paycheck. You roll in. Yeah. Hi, how are you? Yeah, come on down. <laughs> Great. Thanks very much. Okay, bye. And you don't even know. And your check shows up. To take take off your you sunglasses. Know. You know what I mean? You yeah. guys know more about that stuff than I do. Yeah. Hey, we we doing this? Mm-hmm. Okay, come on. Okay. I got, I got okay. stuff. I got to be somewhere. Come on. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It's like yeah. Okay. Hey, stop that. Pause. Hey, stop that. Pause. And you literally, they'll give you a line and they'll just say, "Uh, ten takes, three, two, one," and you just go. And I, and oh, that's what I actually love. Rapid fire. Oh, oh fucking rapid mm-hmm. fire is right. Split second between them. I that stuff I love though. That stuff I can do really well. Mm-hmm. So they knew that they could get that out of me really fast. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, what are you doing? You know, and then you just you rattled like ten of them off <laughs> totally differently, and they're like, "Fuck yeah!" Some actors they'd have to go. Okay, can I get ten more? But can you do this? We just knew how to do it. You just oh. rolled in and mm-hmm. barked it out. Now, Joe, I'm not saying that because you're a teacher and I'm a parent that we could do voice acting, but I feel like I do repeat the same things 10 times in a row. Maybe yeah, I should look into this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know what? Well, maybe, is- maybe that's the thing. Maybe we should start just varying how we say it 10 times in a row. There you go. Really that's it. That's the impact. <laughs> you could do that. You know what I will tell you? It's so funny. I've got a bunch of friends of mine. And they always come to your friends, always come to you when their kid or their family or whoever wants to, or they, hey, was, you know, somebody mm-hmm. told me I have a really good advice. So I was thinking about getting into voice acting or whatever. And I always, they always come to you. Like, my daughter wants, will you talk to her? And I'm like, sure, but I'll tell her not to do it. And they're like, what? And I'm like, it's yeah. a really hard thing. <laughs> But the voice Mm -hmm. stuff is the voice market, especially up here is incredibly competitive. And I always say to anybody who's my age and getting into it, I don't, I wouldn't do it now. And they're like, what do you mean? But I, and I'm like, it is so incredibly competitive. And most markets have like Vancouver for the animation. There's probably 50 guys Mm -hmm. that you shoot all of it, but the top, I would say there's probably mm-hmm. 15 to 18 guys that do 90% of the work. They just do. And they can change mm-hmm. their work. Like these wow. are guys, that's all they mm-hmm. do. A guy named Scott McNeil, who I've been yeah. naked with in a show called The Ranch, oddly enough. And yep. he's one mm-hmm. of these professional voice actors no. that <laughs> can do any voice and every voice. You'd never know. Lee Tokar, same thing. These are guys that do this. Peter Kalamis. Um, these are all guys that do professional animation voices. You'd ne- they do, they're so vast and varied. You'd never know them from one show to the next. And they do ninety percent of the work, so it's so competitive. It's so competitive, and trying to get in—I don't even know how you'd mm-hmm. get in now. Even young, I don't know how you'd get in now, especially not in the Vancouver market. And we have a huge voice market, huge. So yeah. I tell everybody, I'm like, you can make a mm-hmm. demo tape, and they usually get scared away at that because that takes work and money and effort. And yeah. oh, I, I didn't want—I just wanted to do voice some commercials. I'm like, yeah, you, well, you got to do the demo. You got to yeah. sit down. You know, like it's a mm-hmm. lot of work to get into it. And I'm like it's going to be really hard to break into the market. So it's really hard. I, I think that you and Joe need to exchange business cards because he has also <laughs> been trained to get naked with Scott McNeil and he Wait, just hasn't on. worked out yet. <laughs> he played an Elvis. Be... You, know, you know who Scott McNeil is? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. oh do you? Oh, you do? Yeah. I don't know if you guys yeah. know these guys. Yeah. Okay, Scott McNeil is a buddy of mine because we, yeah. we've done a lot of voice stuff together. Mm-hmm. And on the ranch, if you ever see mm-hmm. the ranch, and I'll give you a heads up now, uh, you will see my boobs. They look horrible. Even they've got a boost. I'm doing something weird with a bustier and they're mm-hmm. flowing over. And they look like they look horrible. Even my mother went, do not <laughs> footnote me. Cause my mother used to say whenever I have done a ton of nudity, but mm-hmm. I have done a bit of it. Chris Isaac show the ranch. And my mother, if she ever saw it, she'd always say footnote me, darling, meaning you got those great breasts and ass. 
they're, they're, they were better 20 years ago for me. So she always used to say, darling, you're very British, very British. She'd say, you have to footnote me. So when, <laughs> the, when she saw the ranch and saw these, this bustier and what she went, don't footnote me there. That's not, you didn't get that from me. <laughs> Horrible. But Scott McNeil plays a mm -hmm. Elvis impersonator because he's got the voice, right? They just got him in the hair. Oh, yeah. He was kind of mm -hmm. this, and I had to give him a blowjob, and I put ice on my boobs to keep my nipples looking fantastic, and I had to lean down on his thighs. So these two ice-cold <laughs> nipples in his thighs, and he's like, oh, my, oh, oh my God, Jesus. So how many errors we walked? We both just walked. So he saw him. When he showed up, I'm like, because we'd known each other professionally way mm -hmm. before he showed up, and I'm like, Hey, Scott, he's like, oh, my God, Sam. And I'm like, yeah. So I'm like, we're about to get naked together. So awkward at the beginning. And then he just said, <laughs> do you want to just get naked? So we both just took off our clothes and walked around the set. I think I sat in an apple box and ate a sandwich. You know, <laughs> I didn't care. The crew are more uncomfortable than you are. And so we got over mm -hmm. it pretty fast. But if you ever get the ranch, there is the scene where I'm giving a guy a blowjob. That is Scott McNeil. Oh, my God. Well, there we go. Is it between Scott McNeil and Frank Welker, like they basically voiced my childhood. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't know how much they would have worked together, but those two just did. They were in so much. Mm -hmm. I don't recognize the other name. Who's who? Frank Welker? Frank yeah, Welker. He, yeah. Basically, he's Fred in Scooby-Doo. He's Megatron. Oh, he, OK. Well, that's uh, oh, got it. Oh, yeah. in the Ghostbusters cartoon. Ghost, yeah. yeah. He voiced the 80s. Like that was all okay. Frank Welker. It's actually to... harder to find something he wasn't in. Really? So kind yeah. of like the kind yeah. of like the the, the Simpson stuff. Um, who mm -hmm. else would you know from the Vancouver market? Because like I said, they did so much of that stuff up here. Do you know any of the Dobson mm -hmm. brothers? Uh, there's like three Dobson Dobsons. Brothers. They all did a lot of voice work, a lot mm -hmm. of animation. Kirby Morrow, who has now died. Kirby Morrow died of a. Oh. Mm -hmm. I think it was an alcohol-related death. We're not quite sure what happened there. He did a lot of work. He would have worked as much as Scott McNeil did. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of all the other big names. Of course, I can't oh, think of them now. But. Uh, I do remember him from, uh, I think he was Cyclops from uh, like X-Men, one of the X-Men series. I'm pretty yeah. sure Kirby Morrow was. Kirby Morrow did a lot of stuff. Yeah. Him, Peter Kalamis, Lee Toker. Uh, those guys are all big. Like, if you look them up, you guaranteed you guys would definitely go, oh, yeah, I know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know them all. Like these guys yeah. have done. Because a lot of it mm -hmm. gets shot up in Vancouver. A lot, of the, a lot of that stuff records up in Vancouver. And these guys... Um, who is the guy who moved to the States? Uh, David Kay, but I think he might be more the mm -hmm. announcer stuff than he does the mm -hmm. actual, um, oh, voice. Okay. I'm trying to think who mm -hmm. else. Yeah, I'll think about it later, but I, yeah, I can't think of anybody else off the top of my head, but definitely Lee Toker. Um, and, uh, oh, oh, Ian Corlett. Ian Corlett's another big name. He just, and these are guys that work full time all the time doing yeah. animation so there's a big yeah. market for it but it's really mm -hmm. there's a very few people that actually they hire to do them because these yeah. guys are so good at doing a million voices you'd never know brian drummond is another one mm -hmm. um like i said there's four dobsons yep. like all the four brothers do animation do voice stuff mm -hmm. must be very wow. competitive at Chris christmas dinner must be hell <laughs> so that table you never you got animation guys so you can never mm -hmm. just talk to them like the one thing about scott mcneil mm -hmm. he wears a cowboy hat everywhere he goes <laughs> he's got a look yes mm -hmm. just, the same thing was with kirby morrow you can never just because you'd see them at auditions and it was always a oh hello how are you that is, that is, that is, like they never just talk to you like hey sam how are you doing you just knew mm -hmm. walking into a room with with animation guys you were just like like mm -hmm. it was work you just were yeah. like, oh, uh, yeah. you know, 
like they couldn't do it anymore mm-hmm. they'd lost their real voice those zoom calls had to be hell if you've ever had to <laughs> oh, do one i can't them. even imagine <laughs> <laughs> well mm-hmm. we we would uh not forgive ourselves because joe and i are both of course supernatural mm-hmm. fans um and, and my wife actually introduced me to supernatural uh back when we first started dating so i binged like the first five seasons Oh, on wow. And, and yeah, over the course of maybe like a month's time. So I, I became like an instant fan, but right away, like just the, the, like Ellen's part in this, in this series in the, in the early part, you know, with, uh, with her and her daughter and everything, I immediately kind of bonded with, with that, with that family. Right. Because, yeah. mm-hmm. um, I, I'm not, I, I don't know if it, if it's quite the same correlation, but being an army brat and then seeing how like the hunters live their lives and they're mm-hmm. used to people disappearing and just what happened to that person, whether it was tragedy or whether it was just life, whatever, like just the idea of all these folks passing through like a, a joint location, sharing knowledge and doing all that. And, and your characters at the top of it, controlling yeah. it all. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I thought that was just a really cool idea. Just, yeah. just the, just the concept of like a grand central station for hunters, right? Very and- nomadic, but then it settled on that. Well, I think that was at the beginning of season two. And I think the reason that was kind of a logistical thing, they, the show wasn't big at all. I didn't even know what I was auditioning for. I'm like, super what? What's it called? Supernatural. <laughs> I'm like, oh, and I knew enough to know it was two hot guys from Dallas, from Texas. And I'm like, <laughs> but I didn't, you know, we, we didn't really hit it big until, you know, sort of into season two and three. So mm-hmm. season one was kind of unheard of. They just knew it was two hot dudes. And um, I had to watch a couple episodes of season one, which I actually liked. I'm like, oh, I don't want to watch this. But they said, look, yeah. before you, because mm-hmm. I booked it and they said, look, you're, it's going to be, you're going to be a fairly regular role for the first little while. They want you to watch it. So I actually watched season one. And I'm like, hey, this is actually isn't bad. It had humor. It had rock and roll. It, mm-hmm. it had a lot of great good look to good looking guys to look at. They didn't take themselves too seriously. Like that show did well for a reason. It had all of these great pieces mm-hmm. in it. But what they didn't have. It was very dude heavy. Yeah. Season yeah. one was really all they had was flashbacks of their mom mm-hmm. and a couple of bad female characters. But what the writers and the producers had said is we need to bring in a mother figure. And then, you know, they brought my daughter in with me. They weren't sure if they were going to make her a love interest or a sisters type with. And then they saw if the chemistry worked and it kind of did. So they, you know, so they brought us really in as to bring some feminine energy to the show. Mm-hmm. And the sad thing about it was. We were supposed to write a, all three, me, Ash, and Alona, all the guy, Chad Lindbergh, all came yeah. in at the same time. They were, yeah, when they brought in the roadhouse mm-hmm. and they were about to sign the three of us and Jim Beaver to a contract. We were going to sign, sign us up. But what happened is the WB, uh, it wasn't the CW yet. Mm-hmm. And it was just flipping over. It used to be Warner Brothers. Then it was the WB and the CW was taking over. And the CW is notoriously a very young, hot gossip girl, pretty little yep. liars, <laughs> you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff, like the hills, like, bleh. but you know, <laughs> it was really young and really hot and good looking. That's what the CW was. And so when the WB, when they had it, they were just about to sign us. So we were all, we all got the roles. We were about to sign contracts. And just as the CW came in and it was like, the, the, like their first day, they went, oh, what? You're signing. And I was too old now. The CW oh. saw me as too old for their 
regular. So literally, I literally pen in hand about to sign the contract and the CW ripped that contract out from underneath. I think me and Jim oh. Beaver, because they all of a sudden went, well, they're not our demographic. She's way too old. And I'm like, hang on a second. I'm literally eight years older than Alona, the girl, you know, the, I'm playing the mother of a girl who's mm -hmm. in real life, eight years younger than me, but no. So we were going to be in way more episodes, but it just, I know it's film. This is why film is hard. This is why I tell my friends, my daughter wants to become an mm -hmm. actor. What would you tell them? Don't do it. <gasps> well, I'm not going to have her talk to you. I'm like, no, because that's what I'm going to tell her. Don't yeah. get an education. Yeah. The one thing that I have that I see my friends do, and I'm lucky because I had a lot of other careers first and I can go off and do other things. But I have friends that put all their eggs in one basket and all they've ever done has been an actor. And I don't know if you guys know anything about there's a strike going yes. on right now. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's ugly, ugly, ugly. And it's written like there's a quote from a producer saying, we're going to wait it out. They shouldn't have mm -hmm. gone on, on. They went on the record. They didn't use their name. That they basically mm -hmm. went on the record with uh, the media saying, we're going to wait out the writers and the actors because they're going to start losing their apartments. They're going to start losing their yeah, homes. They're going to start losing that. everything. Mm -hmm. They actually went on record as saying that and saying, look, it's a necessary evil. We can wait. We don't care. They're making money. Like yeah. Netflix, and some of them have less shows to play. They'll just keep replaying. But mm -hmm. Netflix, yeah. you know, the, the producers don't care because they've got tons of shit. They'll just replay. We're going to do a, you know, uh, what are those Amazon, the great, amazing race playing from the beginning? Like they've got all this content mm -hmm. that they can just keep playing. People aren't going to run out of shit to watch. They're not going to, there's going to be no pressure. So they're just going to wait it out until the, mm -hmm. until the writers and the actors are start losing everything and they come begging back for their jobs. That's how horrible this business is. It's not. And I've got a friend of mine who's a writer in LA. I talked to her last night and I'm like, how's it going? She's kind of retired now. So she's made her money. She's fine. She still has to go on the picket line every day, mm -hmm. but she's mm -hmm. like, there are, you know, there are people that are going to lose everything, everything. Yeah. And they're going to have to go mm -hmm. take jobs in other businesses and become house painters and, you know, work in restaurants and mm -hmm. be gardeners and whatever. Like, it's just, it's a, it's a very, very tough, very tough industry. And yeah. it's a horrible thing to see. And I'm kind of glad that like, it's affecting Vancouver too, very much. So I might talk to my agent last night. And I'm like, how's it going? She's like, I'm going to have to lay off people. We're going to close the office. Ooh. I mean, people started working wow. out of home, out of the home mm -hmm. anyway. Oh, yes, but of course. Yeah. She's like, we don't use the office as much. But she said, I'm going to have to lay off two people. The rest of us, she said, Sam, there's five shows shooting in Vancouver right now because they stopped mm -hmm. it before the strike. They didn't start anything, so they didn't have to sit on it. So yeah. the shows didn't start for a long time before because they knew this was coming. And now it's going to be the winter time before people go back to work again. And no one's going to win from no one's going to win from this. Like. Mm except for the, I guess yeah. the networks, it's really horrible. So yeah. <laughs> uh, when I got sick with chronic pain and I realized when I found out what it was after struggling for 19 years, um, I realized this is my, sometimes you take a calling. Sometimes you just know what you're meant to be doing. Mm -hmm. I knew I was meant to be doing radio. And then I knew that I was going to leave the acting community. I didn't know how I was going to do it. And when I got sick and I found out a way that what it is, I won't go into this details, but 90% of chronic pain is curable overnight with nothing more than a pen and a piece of paper, 90 to 95% of it. Wow. And when I learned that, I realized the world has to know. Like Howard Stern, he had healed from the same thing. It's called mind-body syndrome. 90 to 95% of chronic pain falls under that umbrella. And what people don't realize is they're going to see physios. They're spending all this money. People are killing themselves. I almost killed myself. I almost took myself out of the game because I struggled so badly. And what it is, is it's actually an emotional 
and um, a psychological and a stress related, there's actually nothing wrong with your body, but there's something going on in your body to distract you from some repressed emotions. It's a long story. Mm -hmm. But when I found out that the way out of this illness is doesn't even cost you a thing. You have to do a little bit of mental, emotional work. You got to do a little bit of writing, a little creative exercise, ex, um, creating writing exercise for 20 minutes a night for a couple of months. I got myself out of chronic pain. I had it for 20 years. And when I finally found out what it was and addressed it, I was out of it within a couple of months. And I realized wow. my job now in this world is to help other people who struggle with chronic pain. I've got I've started my social media it's called the chronic pain connection. If I'm going to give it a little mm -hmm. buzz, but I'm just starting to build that now. I'm oh, still absolutely. in school. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I'm starting to build that. I'm just starting to put that together. Now I'm not mm -hmm. even drawing anybody's attention to that yet because I'm not even finished school, but I'm getting my therapist license. And then a year from now, I'll probably be a full on chronic pain coach and therapist because there's so much of a need for this. There's so many people like you guys, I guarantee you guys will know people mm -hmm. struggling with chronic pain, fibromyalgia, tinnitus, carpal mm -hmm. tunnel, knee pain, neck pain, any kind of back pain, migraines. These are all completely fucking fixable because it's not, the problem is not your body. The pain is very real, but the solution mm -hmm. is not in your body. And when mm -hmm. I found that out, so I'm lucky that I'm stepping away from the acting thing. I won't leave it all together, but it's not going to be my primary income because I have friends that this is all they've ever done. And they're now looking down the barrel of their kids. Their kids are going to high school. They are looking, how are they going to pay their mortgage? How are they going to pay their rent? Some people have to sell their houses. They have to rent their kids. They're trying to put them through school. They don't have money. It's a very, very tough industry to be in. The mm -hmm. voice is different. Voice is different, but the money's not the same. Yeah. You know, it's not well, yeah. actors and that's all they've ever done. Mm -hmm. And there's an ego that comes with acting, right? It's like, well, why don't you guys go get a job? I talked to an actor the other day. I'm like, well, I did stuff on the side. I did voice and I did, mm -hmm. you know, I did some set deck and I started as a bartender when I first went and I turned to the actor and said, you could work. And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm an actor. I don't do regular work. And I'm like, oh, well, fuck you. Oh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's going to mm -hmm. have to be a reality. So it's very hierarchical. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. When oh. some people would seem they're like, oh, you're a bartender. Oh, honey, hard times. Oh. And I'm like, fuck off. And I was working. I was mm -hmm. thinking I was shooting Supernatural and working at Joe Forte's downtown at the time because, you know, I wanted to have a lot of money and I liked being busy. Like yeah. when you're working as an actor, mm -hmm. 30 days a year is considered a lot of work. So what are you doing oh. with the other, you know, 265, 245, whatever, whatever it was, <laughs> I never wanted to sit around. So I always had other gigs on the go. I wasn't beyond doing work, any yeah, kind of work mm -hmm. and there, but a lot of actors, you know, it's very, Ooh, you're doing what? Oh, she's a bartender. You know, you know what I mean? And it was just like, you guys are assholes. Like stop being so snotty, yeah. but it's a snotty business. Mm -hmm. It can be a very snotty business. People got to eat, you know, I, I'm, I'm not yep. going to look down on any, any, any profession mm -hmm. because I, I do, I do truly believe that we need all professions. Uh, we actually did a, a show on, on the dirty jobs series. Uh, yeah. I love mm -hmm. the dirty jobs series. I, dude, isn't it great? Mm -hmm. Mike Rowe, is it Mike Rowe? Does he still, I mean, yeah. not going on. I love that show and I love no, him. I would have married it's... him sight unseen. <laughs> I think it's back <laughs> on. Like they have new episodes. Yeah, it's back. It's back. Yeah. It's yeah. Back. Is, mm -hmm. is Mike Rowe doing it? He must look yeah. older now. He was it's so still Mike Rowe. He was oh, so mm -hmm. good at that job. He was so funny. I don't know if he's a nice guy. I hope he's nice. He's one of those people that you go, I hope so he's too. Not a nice yeah. guy, I don't want to know about it because you have such a buildup <laughs> in your head of someone. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, have you guys ever met someone that you had a great buildup and then you met them and went, I wish I never met them. 
like something about their personality just or they were mm-hmm. assholes or they were standoffish or they were shitty and you just went i wish i'd kept my i wish i'd never met them so that i could keep my vision of them in my head i i met dan Aykroyd a few years ago and mm-hmm. and he's he's one of my favorite actors and but for me like when i met him i was i knew why he wore like the shades and like you know he he's he's on the spectrum so he's not always the most personable yeah. And so I, I kind of knew what I was getting into, but when I got there, it's like smile and wave, smile and wave. And you're mm-hmm. like, okay, kind of what we talked about before. It's like, you, how was this his 16 hour day? Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like this, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So like for me, I was like, eh, I'm, I'm going to temper myself on this one. I'm going to, I'm going to, let's, let's not, let's not judge. You know, yeah. if I, if I meet yeah. him like five more mm-hmm. times, then I'll make an assessment. <laughs> exactly. And it really is. You know, what's, mm-hmm. you know, what's crummy about being an actor is you can't have a bad day. Like you can no. meet somebody mm-hmm. and especially if it's with fans, if you've had a tough, you can't, you got to put that back on and you got to put your smile back on and be a kind person because mm-hmm. that will affect somebody's life. Especially if you're yeah. at conventions, oh, like yeah. by Sunday night, you are wiped out. You are tired. Mm-hmm. You've probably partied with the rest of the cast. You mm-hmm. are talked out. You talk for 12 solid hours. Hi. Hey. And you really got to pour it on. Like it's a marathon or no, you know, it's a sprint. It's an absolute sprint. So by the Sunday, you're wiped out and people really want a piece of you and they want to touch you. And they, can I take up a canadian? Mm-hmm. And it's very, and no matter what happens, you have to be a decent human being because you may be that person that somebody has waited in line to come and see you. And if you're having mm-hmm. a bad moment, if you're turning and snapping at someone, they see that and you ruin it for them for life. I, yeah. I MASH was my big series when I was a kid. I watched a lot of MASH. Mm-hmm. I had Loretta Switch. She was my oh my God moment. She was my fan moment. And I had, we went to, I was at um, Comic-Con, Rhode Island, Rhode, the Rhode Island, is it Rhode Island Comic-Con? Is that what it's called? One of the big Comic-Cons. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she was, and I was so excited in front of mine and said, oh my God, do you know that Loretta Switz? And I tweeted to her, oh my God, fangirl, I'm going to come down and say hi. She's like, oh yeah, it's very sweetheart. Anyway, I got her at the end of her Sunday. She's 86. And wow. she'd been pushed mm-hmm. and prodded and pulled in every direction. And they said, okay, any actors who want to get a picture taken with Jamie Farn, Loretta Swit, come with us. And they hadn't told her and Jamie what was going on. So she was a bit flustered. Mm-hmm. And it was right before their last picture taking with fans. She's tired. He's tired. He's in a wheelchair. And I should have read the room because I rolled in and I was the first person. So they had a bunch of actors, a bunch of the actors that were part of the, we were part of the, the guests at the con at the comic con. Yeah. And they hadn't really told Loretta and Jamie that, Hey, we're, before you start with the, with the attendees, we're just going to bring in a couple of these people that just want pictures with you guys. And they hadn't mm-hmm. really. So she was like, I, what, sorry, who, what? She just didn't know what was going. Nobody explained it. And they were shooing me in already. They hadn't even explained it to her. And I roll in and I'm like, and I'm like, Sam, play it cool, play it cool, play it cool. But when you meet your, your hero, you don't, you can't even talk fast enough. You're like, mm-hmm. Oh my God. And, you, and I, I, I loved you. And this episode and the, and so I come up and I kind of put my, my hands, mm-hmm. where am I? Was I in the middle? <laughs> I don't know where I was. I was, um, yeah, I guess I was in the middle. No, I wasn't in the middle. We were both above Jamie mm-hmm. and I go to, I put my hand on his wheelchair and I very lightly, just because I'm leaning next to her, I put my fingers very lightly just on her shoulder. And she just, she was fed up and she just went and flung my arm off and turned around and went, are you ready? And I went, yeah. And the picture, if we had time, I'd run and grab it. I, I, you know what? I would have framed it if it was, I I went to my Mm -hmm. hotel that, and I literally slunk away and it had nothing to do with the event. And it was, she was yeah. just 
flustered and I was the first one. And I just, it was just circumstance. Yeah. I should have mm -hmm. shut the fuck up though. I should have just gone hi and read that she was flustered and just did this. But I just was so excited. I was reading me my hero and mm -hmm. I just bounced up to her and overwhelmed her. And, you know, she basically, and it, I just, it was like a puppy that had been smacked by its owner that it Ooh, loved. And I just wow. was, I walked down the hall and, you know, they're like, wait, Kat. and I'm like, no, I'm just going to go ahead. I walked down the hall and I just took a moment to myself and I was like, did that really just happen? And you feel such shame and you feel your heart is just broken. And yeah. I was just like, oh my God. And I went to the bar in my hotel that night and I sat in the bar and I'm, there was fans there and I took, I took my makeup off. I put my glasses on. I put my hair up. I didn't want to be, I just sat at the bar and I cried. My glasses uh, filled uh, up with tears. I kept having to take my glasses off and letting the tears fall because they literally built up under my glasses. The chick next to me finally just went, honey, and she's here in some convention, not this. And she just said, mm -hmm. I got to say, are you okay? Can I buy you a shot? And I just said, because I thought I was being really good about it. And I said, no. I said, you know what? I just had a really heartbreaking moment. I had to laugh at myself, but I was so upset. And I have, it's the picture looks great. And it's such a bad memory for me that mm. it's now sitting away in a, in a bookshelf. And forever oh, for me, I'll never watch mm -hmm. MASH again. And oh. I just, and not that she's an asshole, just that I feel such shame mm -hmm. over that whole event. It just ruined the whole thing for me. And I thought, God, you know, Shame on any actor that treats a fan like shit, because I know what it feels like to have to be shut down mm -hmm. and you can't take that stuff back. I don't, I yeah. bet you she didn't even know what Ooh. she did. I bet you she just, cause apparently she's lovely. And yeah. I was just like, wow, I just, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. So I don't know how we even yeah. got on with that, but <laughs> well, yeah, well, here, no, here, I say, I, I've had yeah. nothing but good luck with it. Um, I, 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 my, Michael Rosenbaum um, is one of my favorites yeah. from Smallville. And I've actually yeah. met him at two cons and they were yeah. six years apart from each other. And when I saw him at the second con, which was this year in Chicago, yeah. he remembered me from the first con, which oh, was bizarre nice. to me. It was like, there's no yeah. way this guy remembers me. He's like, yeah, it was like, you talked to my podcast on the floor when I was looking for stuff. I'm like, holy yeah. crap. I, I thought maybe I just, maybe I've got one of those faces, but no, like it, it meant so much. And I've got a picture from him from that kind of my wall. He's, he's still smiling at me over here. So that I, I, I think we have the opposite of that. Um, yeah. Um, oh, good. Good. Here. I'm glad because it's a horrible mm -hmm. experience you don't want to go through. And I'm an actor. And so I would hope that I'd be less affected yeah. by it. But your mm -hmm. hero's your hero. And when you mm. build someone up in your head, what did somebody say? Somebody said, don't beat your heroes. It's, it yeah. is a saying out there. And I think, mm -hmm. who was I? It was with DJ Qualls because I was there with DJ's a buddy of mine. And we were there, there a Supernatural. And I think he said... How was your night last night? I didn't see you. I said, I just went to the bar and sat there and I said, and I cried and he said, Oh my God, what happened? I told him and he goes, don't meet your hero, Sam. And he is a hero. Like a lot of people really love him. Mm -hmm. So he's very good to the fans for that exact reason. He's a very decent, good hearted guy. He's just a real normal mm -hmm. guy. He's not a snob. There's snobs out there. He's not one of them. Actually, Supernatural, very fortunate. There are very few, there's very few big attitude there. Very, mm -hmm. very little. Everybody's very solid. And I think it trickles down from the top. Those two boys were the most decent human beings ever and i think you wouldn't have lasted long apart from mark shepherd who has a big attitude but i think it's part of his shtick um <laughs> everybody else was so good on that show uh you they didn't have room for a uh, prima donna bullshit 
So, yeah. and DJ mm-hmm. just said, don't meet your heroes. Careful meeting your heroes because you don't know how it's going to go. Well, if, yeah. if it means anything, I'm not going to forget the conversation I just had with Sally Pode night. So yeah. this, is, this has been fantastic. <laughs> Yay, good. See? We've come full circle. We have yes. come full circle. Yes. I was going to mirror the same thing. Yes. I, mm-hmm. I, I knew that we were going to have a fun conversation, but your story is one that I am absolutely happy we got to experience because you have a very unique journey coming into entertainment, yeah. but obviously broadcast and journalism and working that way. So we obviously are very thankful for your time and being able to experience this with you. Yeah. And I, I guess in, in conclusion, is there anything else that you'd like, you know, to, to tell our listeners, anything that you would like to, to close up shop with? Oh my God. Uh, you know what I learned? Chase your dreams has nothing to do with, I did what, with what I did, but I went after my career because I had a, a, a light bulb moment in my life and I chased my dreams and I'm glad that I did. So whatever you want to do, you can do it, especially in this world. You can do anything. Always chase your dreams. Always chase what you want to do because how I decided to become an actor was, well, I, I, let's give it a go. And I can, you know, it doesn't go forever. You at least can die trying, at least say that you tried. So take this life and do what you want with this life. And if you ever have chronic pain, look up jo- Dr. John Sarno. Look up me. Look up the, anybody with chronic pain. Everybody's got a mother, a father, an uncle, a best friend who has chronic pain. Look up something called mind-body syndrome. 90 to 95% of chronic pain is completely 100% fixable. And um, be a decent person. Just be a decent person. I've been surrounded by ego mm-hmm. and a lot of money, and that the two go hand in hand. Uh, be a decent person in your life. Treat everybody the same. Because what is it? You you meet the people going uh, going up the scale, you'll meet the same person coming down. Always be a decent person. You can't go wrong with that. I think those are the three things that I would say to everyone. And I would tell that to everybody, not just your fans, but I would say that to everybody. Three very good things to live by in life. Hey, I'm Sam Ferris. And until next time, keep on dissecting. Mm-hmm. <laughs>